This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome to Total Saints Podcast, Episode 18, The Christmas Special. My name is Ben Stanfield, host of the podcast, at Ben Stanners from Twitter. This is the dedicated weekly podcast going to the heart of all things saints. Now, I'm not one for getting overly religious, but just like baby Jesus on his first day on earth all those years ago, I'm delighted to be able to welcome three wise men as my guests. This time, we're not expecting gold, frankincense and myrrh, though, just some interesting comments and views on something close to all of our hearts, Southampton Football Club. The first guest isn't really a guest anymore. He's the most important 50% of the podcast. It's Adam Leach, the Southampton Daily Echo's chief sports writer. Adam, straight in with the important questions. Have you finished your Christmas shopping yet? Oh, I've nailed it. I've absolutely nailed it this year. Well, there's a few presents still to get, um, so I haven't nailed it at all, actually. But uh, I'm deluding myself that I've nailed it because I can sure I can put it off at least until Sunday. Have you got me one yet? Uh, I have. The the elves have beavered away and I, I do have a gift for you. Wow, I wasn't expecting that to be the answer, but that's great. I'm looking forward to that now. Um, our second guest on this Christmas special is the owner of Saints Web, a Saints season ticket holder, a Sutton United season ticket holder, and he also attends every England national team game home and away. Now, that's proper commitment, actually sitting through England games in person. It's Steve Grant. Steve, thanks for joining us on the podcast. How are you keeping and are you feeling festive yet? The level of my festivity goes as far as one of those um, those black Santa hats with Bar Humbug printed on it. <laughs> I thought that might be your answer. That's why I asked the question. Yeah. <laughs> now, our third guest is very special indeed. He was born in Haven, a PO postcode, of course, but is very much a saint. He's a genuine British motor racing legend, TV broadcaster, and more importantly, from our point of view, a massive Southampton fan and season ticket holder. Total Saints podcast is delighted to welcome Tiff Nadell. Tiff, it's an honour and pleasure to have you join us on this episode. 
I thought we'd jump straight in with a quick, light-hearted Tiff Christmas pop quiz. I was going to ask you, Tiff, what's the best Christmas present you've ever received? Oh, my goodness. You can't just throw that at me. I mean, I must say, <laughs> I got a set of Saints darts once with a dartboard. That was pretty special. Yeah, that's good. They, were, they broke, though. They broke. They didn't last long. I must have been. Oh, oh, well. Oh, well. And what was the worst? The same, Probably the same one, then? Yeah, I got some nice Saints uh, beer mats as well, and they're nice. <laughs> I like those. Good. But, and what um, have you asked for this year? I, I don't know, really. I'm not going for a Saint shirt. You know, I quite like some of the you know, nice little winter anorak, which is a small badge. Discreet. You know, I can't go full at my age, I don't think. No. The, the boys no. are fully dressed up, but you've got, to be, you've got to be a bit discreet. I wear me, wear me bobble hat with my Saints badge, the black you know, the black hat. I don't go for the, the Wally hat. I can't go for those. <laughs> can't go for circle stripes. No, I think the problem I've had is since they've changed to Under Armour, it's far too slim and fit for, for my liking as well, to be honest. But uh, there we go. So fantastic. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure to have the three of you together. And despite what's going on on the pitch at the moment with Saints, I'm sure we can make this a Christmas cracker. In this episode of TSP, we're going to review briefly, hopefully, the shambles that was Claude Puel's Leicester at home and the away defeat to Chelsea. We're also going to talk to Adam, Steve and Tiff about the key talking points in and around St Mary's currently, including Maurizio Pellegrino and Virgil van Dijk. We're going to ask Tiff about some of his favourite memories following Saints, find out more from Steve about Saints Web, and then also preview what Adam would call a vital match, which is must-win to the rest of us, against Huddersfield. If that's not enough, we're also going to drag Steve and Tiff's prediction and reputation down to mine and Adam's level by getting them to tell us what they think the score will be for Saints' visits to Spurs and Manchester United over the Christmas period. Finally, yep, there's more. We're going to hear from James Kibbe. James is also a Saints fan and was one of the masterminds behind the next chapter, Barry Gale and Made for Heroes. He will be telling us about how he got involved with Saints and the story behind those productions. And I reckon by the time we finish all that, it's probably going to be Christmas. Anyway, this is Total Saints Podcast, episode 18. Let's start with a quick look back at the Leicester and Chelsea games. Adam, being honest, the Leicester game was a total shambles from start to finish. Saints getting stuffed like a Christmas turkey 4-1. You made a point in the last podcast that a few people high up at Southampton Football Club would be keeping their fingers crossed that Saints beat Claude Puel and Leicester, having made the decision to sack him in the summer. For that reason, the performance and result must have been a bit of a dagger to their hearts, in the same way that Claude probably found it incredibly satisfying. Yeah, well, Claude's little face, he was absolutely lit up in the rain. Um, I'm just, just grateful that it's been a week since that game now, uh, as we record. So it's actually had time to recover from it. So it, it was, as you said, an absolute uh, shambles. It was it was embarrassing, really, to be honest, to, to watch Saints and the way they played that day. And yeah, I, I do think that there'll be some people high up the club who um, who are getting pretty jittery at the moment. Um, the... The thing is that the way that, that it's played out is that they, they probably thought when Claude, uh, when they said au revoir to Claude, then that would be all we'd ever see of him. And then all of a sudden, the shock horror he pops up at Leicester and the narrative to this season uh, gets even more interesting, but even more awkward for Saints as Claude uh, does a good job while his replacement is up and down at best at Saints still. And certainly things haven't got a lot better uh, since they made the change. I think that's fair to say. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's made an interesting subplot to the whole season, I think, and also put a lot of pressure on those that have made the decisions. Tiff, did you agree with Saints parting ways with Claude in the summer, or did you feel he was a bit harshly treated? Yeah, I think he was harshly treated, but I think he had to go. I think he'd lost the sort of the fans' support. And I think that he's, he's, always, he's, he's not good, is he? Mumbles along and he's, you know, it's not his language, English, obviously. 
So your mum was long on his French accent and doesn't really say anything positive or negative. And of course, you know, we didn't score any goals at home for what was it, 100 games on the trot. And, uh, <laughs> so I think he had to go. And I think, but I think this manager business, I think you're as good as a manager, as good as your players half the time. And although motivation is their main job, as I see it, you know, the manager's main thing is to make sure you're all up for it and keen. And, uh, I mean, I think I mean, the Leicester game, I mean, again, as I said, I'm, I'm always a, a mug half full man. And uh, you know, the first goal was so important. And, and the first goal, you know, Lamina slipped in midfield. It was a brilliant individual goal. It was a bit like Buffal coming from the halfway line, wasn't it? So we got stuffed with a really good first goal. But the second and third goals they scored, both were quite, you know, they were a bit fluky and lucky. You know, ball punted into the, the area, you know, and it bounced around and it just happened to fall to a Leicester foot. And, and occasionally we did look at shambles beginning of the second half. But it's so important, I think, in this football game, looking from the outside, as I'm not a big expert, is, you know, is this the mental approach and getting that first goal? And um, you know, the scoreline looked horrendous. But again, if Charlie had scored when he had that close-up shot, it could have been, what, 3-2 and then it could have changed. You know, so it, football's it's it's so edgy the way it can suddenly change, you know, on a fluke of a, of a goal that you get, the goal you don't. Absolutely. That leads nicely on to the question I was going to ask you, Steve, because on, on the Thursday after the Leicester game during his pre-Chelsea press conference, Pellegrino blamed a, a bit of a lack of connection in his team for the poor results. So I was going to ask your view, whether you felt that the lack of connection was down to him really changing the team after it had done so well against Arsenal, or whether that was a bit of a manager looking for excuse after a bit of a poor performance, really? Uh, maybe a bit of both. I mean, I, I don't I don't subscribe to this belief that that making changes to the team is necessarily a bad thing, particularly when everybody else is doing it for a start. And we've got a big squad that theoretically isn't like our, our second choice players, certainly in, in the centre midfield, aren't an awful lot different from our first choice, really. I mean, whether that says a great deal about our first choice 11 at the moment or, or not, I don't know. But no, I mean, I think ultimately there was, there was an attitude issue, which, Pellegrino seemed to touch on in his post-match interview, I think, um, after the Leicester game. And for me, that's that's definitely more concerning. Um, yeah, remember the first 10 minutes, we were great. I was sitting there thinking, this is brilliant. The first five or 10 minutes, we were we were all over them, all at it. And as I said, it was that first goal that changes everything. It was just the rest of yeah, it. Yeah, I, I think we have, a, we have a mental issue now whereby we sort of almost take take conceding a goal personally and don't take the professional look of, okay, right, put it to the back of your minds. Let's just go, go back out there and, and get everything sorted. It's, it's always a sort of negative doom and gloom. And I I mean, to be fair, I don't, I don't think the support helps at times. We have, we do have this based on the last sort of, well, more or less this calendar year of our, of our pretty, pretty poor home form of um, not being able to score goals whenever we concede it's it's the end of the world and all of a sudden the support just drains and the players do feel that I think it's, it's interesting isn't it? I mean I don't know what the stats are Steve but over the years the, the difference between Saints scoring the first goal and conceding the first goal I mean very rarely do we ever come back if we concede the first goal and that's happened for as long as I can remember yeah I mean we've yeah I mean that's that's never been never been our strong point I think under under Kuman, we seem to have a little bit more about us in in that regard. But then that was because we had better players up mm. front. Mm. Yeah. Um, if you got better players, then I mean you, you're probably not going to be in losing positions quite as often for a start. 
Um, but also you've got the you've got that extra quality. So you're not just resorting to lumping the ball into the box in the last five minutes. You've got a few quality players and you can still play the way you would want to Absolutely. Um, play to their strengths. But yeah, we just we just seem to have seem to have lost that. I mean, we've, we've obviously not replaced Mane and Pella properly. Mm. And I mean, that doesn't come down to either of the two managers in the last 18 months. That's. That's higher up, and that for me is the is the underlying issue with the club at the moment. Mm, yeah. Moving on to Chelsea, Tiff. I know you were at the game. Steve was obviously there as well. What did you make of that performance? That was excellent. We were we were cheering away again. I thought we gave us. I mean, the shots were coming our way a lot, and uh, it was just a free kick. And you know, the, if you look at the replay and the you know, phrase didn't quite get the ball right, and you actually see him after Gabby did he turned away from it. He saw it. Did one more look and sort of did his hand in there, so oh, that will do, I guess. And then went across the goal, and it was such a shame. He didn't get his wall right, and then he was a bit slow across. And but otherwise, I thought the spirit was good, the play was you know, attractive to watch. I think we've complained a lot in the past, you know, Saints fans about who I was playing, you know, that it's not enjoyable. But I thought we had a bit of a go at Chelsea. And obviously, we were getting peppered. But, um, you know, Fraser, in fact, had a very good... He's a great stopper. He's a great, mm, you know, mm. big shot stopper. He's just not good at the fiddly stuff sometimes. Yeah. Or the, but, everything uh, else. Getting yeah, down quick else. enough. Or, <laughs> but he is a good stopper. He stopped a lot of goals. I mean, he let the free kick in. and It's it obviously partly to blame for that. But, you know, it could have been 3-0 if, if he hadn't stopped all the other shots that came hammering his way. So we enjoyed the day out. And I think with the fans I was with, the, the feeling was quite good, you know, and... We all thought a bit like Arsenal, the performance was good and it was just a bit of luck could have turned our way. So, um, my, my, my mug was still half full at Chelsea as well. <laughs> well, that's good. And I, I imagine you heard from Jeremy Clarkson at some point, did you? Yeah, well, yeah, he couldn't go to that match, so he couldn't gloat too much, Clarkson. <laughs> I sat with him when um, J-Rod put the ball in the net very early on in that game. I was sitting next to him and had a lot of enjoyment out of that. But <laughs> didn't take long before they got back. But, no, but I think no, it was a good so. game. I think, you know, I'm a big Gabbiadini fan and I think... Uh, He's not getting the, the, the balls through that he wants. And uh, you watch him working so hard, making runs up front. I watched him at Chelsea. There was a couple of times where he did a one-two with someone. He runs forward, he points where he wants the ball, and it goes out to the side again. That's what drives me <laughs> the maddest. And, uh, you know, I mean, everyone's a, a Charlie Austin fan. And, you know, Charlie's great. Charlie's a great scorer when he's near to the goalpost. He heads them in and pokes them in, and he's a good, you know, in close. But, you know... I think Oibier was also a huge fan of, you know, mm. was the first to put the ball through when Charlie came on. And Charlie's first touch was a through ball from the midfielders down the centre, mm. which, you know, he shot but didn't score. And I reckon Gabbiadini would scored that. I think Gabbiadini's a better creator of goals when he has to run with the ball for a short distance, you know, whereas Charlie's the man that just knocks him straight in off his head or his boot. Um, and I think I'd just love to see Gabbiadini given the ball more often down the middle. Yeah. One of the big talking points, Adam, was Virgil van Dijk. Obviously, in the same press conference that we just mentioned there before Chelsea, Pellegrino had made a comment about only wanting players that were 100% committed to the club. Um, how talented do you think it is then for that reason that after a few questionable performances that van Dijk was suddenly dropped for Chelsea? Well, it was quite hard to know for sure, to be honest, Ben, because um, obviously his teams, he made the point and you thought then, why, OK, he's going to make a real statement with his team selection now he's going to more or less go with the same team and drop two or three individuals to kind of uh, teach him a bit of a lesson if you like but then his team selection was without doubt a mixture of rotation and then perhaps we assume some of leaving out the people whose character he was 
he was sort of questioning, but not completely. Uh, and then after the game, uh, I, I asked him about it and uh, he kind of gave the answers of, well, you wouldn't leave out Dusan Tadic and question his character or Charlie Austin and blah, blah, blah. And so I just said to him, well, are you saying then that all of the changes you made were for rotation and none of them were for this? Um, well, I'm only going to pick people who are 100% committed from now on comment. And really, he fudged the answer, to be completely honest. He did fudge the answer. It was sort of a, a half and half answer where he didn't really let on. So it kind of seemed a bit like he'd made this sort of premeditated stance that he'd got that he was going to do this. And then whether he did do that and he spoke to them privately and that was enough and he didn't want to publicly uh, out them, as it were, or whether he just completely backed down, I don't really know. But I don't. I, we can presume that perhaps that's why Virgil was dropped. But he, he's he sort of teased it out there and has then refused to discuss it any further, basically, or to really expand on it. So it's kind of left to everybody's imagination. So whether that is what happened, and if so, whether the point's been made or not, um, I think the jury's out a little bit. I don't really, I, I can't even say with any certainty, to be honest. Steve, what have you made of the, the, the Van Dyke, I guess, saga, for want of a better phrase this season? And, you know, if you were Saints, what would you be thinking about doing with him in, in January? Because I think similarly after the Chelsea game, Pellegrino seemed to imply that he's, he's keen to keep him. But I, I know as fans, we're, well, some, some of us, I, I'm you know, not scared to say, I, I think the sooner we get rid of him, the better. But I was, I was interested to get your view on what, what you've made of it this season and what you do with him. Oh, God, it's been the most tedious thing ever. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm... <sighs> I was quite happy with the club starts in the summer. Um, they did exactly the right thing. The, apart from maybe I would have actually followed through with getting Liverpool hauled over the coals because having already being already under a transfer embargo for youth players for tapping people up, it would have almost certainly happened to the senior level as well. So we could have completely screwed them, which would have been rather glorious, I think. For them. <laughs> but I mean, in terms of in terms of how we deal with it now, I mean, it's pretty clear that the vast majority of his performances this this season, since he came back into the team, he's kind of been going through the motions. I think, for the most part, that's still good enough because that still makes him a better defender than most defenders in the Premier League, which is slightly irritating. <laughs> but in games against opponents like Les, particularly opponents like Leicester who have got a certain way of playing, you can't take your eye off the game. And Van Dyke was probably the worst of a very, very bad bunch in that game. And as a result, I mean, Pellegrino can sort of try and half deny it as much as he like, but he was clearly the one that he was singling out there. And he's the one that stayed on the bench for the entire 90 minutes on Saturday, despite a defender getting injured after 15 and um, I mean, if you look at the, I would I would rather compare the changes from the Arsenal game to the Chelsea game as opposed to the Leicester game to the Chelsea game because I think that there was an element of rotation for Leicester in terms of keeping players fresh. So the Arsenal one was first choice, and as a result, we then basically brought back that team for the Chelsea game with our first choice side. But of course, left uh, made made the one change of um, of leaving Van Dyke out, and I think that's that's ultimately where where we are. Um, what we do, I mean, he's he's not going to go in January because nobody's going to offer a suitable amount. 
Um, you don't get value in the January transfer window as a whether you're buying or selling, I think. Uh, do you think even City might? I mean, they've obviously got money to burn these days and they're obviously short of defenders. Do you, do you not even foresee potentially well, them City, making an City, offer? City may be short of defenders, but they don't seem to be missing the defenders that are. <laughs> yeah, true, yeah. I mean, whether, whether they're kind of riding their luck a little bit on that, I don't know. I mean, they're, they've kind of just come out of a run of looking slightly vulnerable, but still winning every game. Mm. I mean, when they get their, when they get their mojo back going forward, then, I mean, they're going to, they're going to be frightening. Mm. And, and Tiff, I, I guess we've spoken a bit about Pellegrino and there's, there's obviously been a lot going on. I think I'm certainly keen for this podcast not to be a gender against Maurizio Pellegrino, but what, what have you made of him overall this season? Well, he's a bit like another Puel, isn't he? <laughs> They're very similar. They, they mumble away post-match. I, I, I don't see much of a difference, to be honest. I think we've just got an Argentinian instead of a Frenchman, and um, <laughs> he seems to approach the games. He's a bit more out in the, in the box, I think, during the games, waving and shouting, but uh, he seems to play the same sort of football. So, um, as I said, I always think of, you know, a manager, to me, as a motivator is their number one job, rather than team picking or tactics or formations. And You see Pep Guardiola out on the pitch at the end of games and loving it and hugging his players. And, and also, I was so impressed when they played against us that he actually came out and, and shook hands with our players at the end of the game. And hmm. So it's that character of a manager, I think, more than the decisions he makes. And I think we've just got another sort of very introverted manager, which is what we don't need for motivation. But I'm oh, sorry to hear then that we don't think Virgil's going in January. I think, uh, I <laughs> yeah. think we need him to go. We need him, and not to Liverpool, just anywhere but Liverpool. I'm, I'm totally with you on that, so, Tiff. 100% yeah. anywhere but Liverpool and get rid of him. Yeah, just get rid of him because it's too yeah. much of a saga. We, let's get some money in the bank and, and move on. Because we've got <laughs> some centre-backs. We've got home. We've got, you know... We've got a good array of centre-backs. I don't think it'll be a disaster if he goes because we've got some good players in those positions that uh, can fill in. So, um, you yeah. know, Stevens, we've got uh, we've got spares galore. I was made a laugh. In fact, we have, we've got five centre-backs for two places and three strikers. <laughs> we've got more problems centre-backs we have strikers. Yeah, I don't know. As, as Steve said, I'm not quite sure what's going on in the transfer policy, but there, but there we go. Um, Steve, I, I was going to ask you as well, Steve, because I know you, you've obviously got strong views on a lot of things with Saints, because I know you're very passionate about it, but particularly Pellegrino. Yeah, I, I'm still kind of baffled by the appointment in the first place, given that the, the stated reasons for getting rid of Puel in the summer was that the club didn't feel that we were playing the right style of football and it wasn't what, what they thought they were signing up to though, in this bullshit basically of the Southampton way in inverted commas and yet we bring in a guy whose last managerial job in in La Liga he managed a side that was scoring less than a goal a game and basically showed no attacking ambition all season so I don't I don't quite understand what we were thinking with that um, do, do, do you think it was another? Yeah, you know, I, I, I have to be careful because it's not just just speculation. But do you think it was just another yes man that the board could uh, control? No, I don't think so. Um, I think all, pretty much all foreign managers are used to the setup that we have, where you have a either a director of football, sporting director, call them what you like, and maybe some sort of committee of chief scouts and the and the manager or head coach or whatever title you give him has a say, but ultimately is effectively working with what he's given. Mm. So I don't, I don't think that Pellegrino was picked specifically because, because he's a yes man. I think he was picked because he, because he fits that system, but there are almost certainly dozens of other managers who would have, who would have suited it more. 
and also with the um, with a slightly more attacking sort of mindset in their recent managerial past. Tiff, as I mentioned earlier, like my own father, you were born at what I'd call the wrong end of the M27. So I wondered how you got into following Saints. Ah, well, I've no idea myself, to be honest. I've always loved all sports. Obviously, motor racing is my first love and everything. When I grew up as a kid, it was, you know, Manchester United. I was loved uh, George Best, Charlton and Dennis Law, and uh, they were my heroes as as a schoolboy. You had to pick one team or the other. But uh, I disappeared from football. I kept in touch. I watched every sport. But um, about sort of 10 years ago, uh, my boys said, we want to go to a football match. You know, by then we'd moved not near Portsmouth, but near Southampton, which was a very good uh, move of fate on my behalf, I think. And uh, the boys said, I want to go see a football game. Of course, Southampton is the nearest you know, football team to where we live. And I played some charity golf. I met Matt Letizier and uh, the God. And I said to Matt, I can't need tickets for a football match. How do I get them? You know, because we were actually in the Premiership then, 2005 yeah, it was. Yeah. And um, that was a bad I, mean, I paid for seats, but <laughs> Matt, Matt arranged the seats. And I had a classic Southampton uh, debut. Cause I'm, and I took my boys, they were about what, 10 and 7. And the first time we walked down towards the stand, they both wore their brand new red and white scarves. You know, I thought, flipping hell, this is what dad should do. This is it. Take your sons to football. And of course, it was classic. It was it was the um, the Villa game just before we oh, got to, um, demoted. Yeah, two nil <laughs> up, up at half time. <laughs> yeah. And this is it. I'm watching a team with two nil up. I'm loving this football. But of course, we <laughs> lost three two, yeah. didn't we? And, uh, so that was my first first ever Southampton game with the boys. Yeah. Do you remember who scored the um, winner? I don't know who scored the winner. And who scored the winner? Stephen Davis. No, yeah. God, I didn't know oh, that. There you go, there you go. So uh, I sort of, the, the trouble is, I, I sit in the Kings, and the worst thing is that you look at a cross at the goal, and I've got the away fans behind the goal, the way I look. Yeah. And it's horrendous because every time you and I, I actually wanted to start going the other way, so the second half we play to our end, so that then if the opposition scores a winning goal, it's down the other end. <laughs> because I remember seeing the Villa fans behind the goal, and I sort of thought, oh, no. Yeah. And um, anyway, we got demoted that year, and uh, of course, then it was easy to get tickets. I don't think anyone's <laughs> helped to get tickets, because we were championship and league one. And, but we were there running onto the pitch when we got promotion into the Premiership, um, what, six years ago now. And uh, ever since then, I had to get season tickets. So as soon as, that, as soon as we were back in the Premiership, I realised that we had to get season tickets. And it's been brilliant. We've absolutely loved it. Me and my sons have just you know, gone to games. We went to Milan and we've done, we do more and more away games. There's about half a dozen away games every season now. And uh, we get so much enjoyment out of it. You know, and as I said, I'm always half, half full. My mug of beer is always half full. And even if you lose, it's, you know, it's been a great day out. And I don't get too distraught, although the end of the... Um, yeah, the less, 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 less. Can't say the word game was pretty painful. It was the half time was painful, wasn't it? That was the worst bit. But yeah. uh, now we love coming down to Saints. I mean, I watch Formula One still. You know, my sport. Yeah. You know, everyone falls asleep watching the Grand Prix. And I do tweet sometimes. You know, that in the ninety minutes of watching a football game, I get more emotions of joy, anger, despair, sadness, happiness. You know, in ninety minutes. Whereas you know, watching my sport for ninety minutes of a Formula One race, sometimes I have to. I'm embarrassed by how. Unentertaining it is. So 
I'm loving the passion of football with my sons, no. and I never thought I'd be a football fan, but here I am talking about Gabbiadini and through balls and Fraser Forster in goal, and uh, <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> pretending I know what I'm talking about, but I don't. Really. Well, you certainly sound convincing, so that's good. Um, I, I was going to say, I mean, obviously, in the, in the sort of last 10 years, then, Saints have come quite a long way. So in terms of the fan base, there's obviously a lot of frustration around you know, over the last sort of 12, 18 months. And in your opinion, Tiff, I mean, do you think fans have maybe got an unrealistic expectation about what a club like Saints should and can be achieving now? Or do you think they've they've got every right to try and show some passion to want to be the best they can? As a... no, no, I think fans should always be ambitious. I think we should always chase high. I think it's good for fans to want that ambition to move on, to get into Europe and to win trophies and stuff. And, you know, we, won't, we know what position we're in. You know, we're always a bit struggling. But uh, I think the fans, it's singing songs at the moment is bad. I think the fans aren't as good as they were four, three, two years ago. And I think, I don't know who's in charge of chance, but, you know, we Steve beat um, Everton. We beat <laughs> Everton 4-1. And we never went down the disco. I was waiting for the let's go down the I disco. Know, never happened. <laughs> we don't have songs for people like Ryan Bertrand, one of our best players, Bertrand. Yep. We seem to sort of have a few songs for Oriol Romeo and Dusan Tadic, but only songs for two or three players. And I think in the olden days, we seem to have songs for everybody. And I think that we do need to get a bit more creative if the fans want better results. I think... Like I said, to me, a, a manager is a motivator and the fans are motivators. Yeah, they make a huge difference. I think, you know, we want more songs, more singing. <laughs> well, so that's, that's my plea to the fans. <laughs> Whoever makes up the makes up the songs or leads the songs, we need a bird. They get too complicated now. All this, you know, <laughs> we love our Cedric down the right ling is electric. They're all too complex. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good old, you know, simple ones, Adam, you know, good old, you know, Jose Fonte, baby, you know, just simple songs need to be sung more often for all our team. There you go, Saints fans, take note, Tiff has said, so no, excellent. And, <laughs> and, and the last question, Tiff, Adam Leach's colleague wanted me to ask you this, so I'm putting the blame on him in case it's a really rubbish question, but we thought we'd combine your two passions, so cars and Saints, and ask, if Saints were currently a car, Tiff, what car would they be and why? Well, oh, they're currently a car. Yeah. Oh, blooming now we're a bit of a family saloon at the moment. I mean, this is the trouble. We're, we're chugging along. We're, we're, we're quality, you know, a quality family saloon. But we're not a racing car at the moment, sadly. We're not really up with the supercars of the top six. We're, um, we're, we're a nice executive saloon, you know, the BMW 5 Series. You know, we're nice and strong in the middle there. But, uh, you know, we, we don't want to end up being a, a Ford or a, or a Vauxhall down in the championship, do we? So we, we've got to keep the executive saloon going and hopefully we'll trade in for a, a supercar very soon can I suggest a, a different car I'm, I'm going to suggest we're a we're a sort of slightly older Alfa Romeo in that we, at, at times we're great to drive but notoriously unreliable yeah good very good he's better than me he can take my job in car Steve, that's it. Steve loves his car Steve I mean I, I, I'm sure you don't mind me telling everyone Steve you've got a top end Mustang haven't you yes yeah oh a bit of muscle car I don't know what yeah, football good. teams are muscle cars so, yeah good fun Coming on to you then, Steve, Saints Web, you're the owner of it, a very popular and well-respected site. Um, I wrote that down, so I was going to say it. But uh, um, I mean, for those that don't know, I was wondering if you could tell us a little potted history about it. You know, how you, how you came up with the idea of developing it and the sort of traffic. And um, I, I guess if someone wasn't a subscriber, why they might want to be. Yeah, I mean, it launched in Christ, a long time ago. Now, 2006, I think it was. And that was off the back of an old site that was run by a guy called Keith Legg, uh, called Saints Forever. Now, he decided that he didn't want to carry on running run that site anymore, 
And so a few of us got together and relatively short notice kind of bundled things together and and uh, created a new a new site called the Saints Forum. It was financed completely from uh, sort of user donations, which I mean, it's it's just a massive law of diminishing returns. So after a year or two, you're you're struggling to go back to the same people cap in hand saying, can you give us a bit more money to run this uh, run this site for you? Um, so we ended up coming up with the idea of actually running it as an actual business, albeit one that neither me or Barry, the running admin on it, without either of us actually taking any money out of it. It's um, to get it into that situation, we kind of came up with a model of part funded by advertising and part funded by members paying a fixed amount to sort of have extra privileges, if you like. Obviously, there are there are plenty of people on the Internet with a lot to say for themselves. And we kind of figured that there would be enough of those that were happy to pay five pound a year to um, to basically witter on as much as they want. <laughs> while the rest of the people get the site for free, but only get a, a sort of limited amount of input. Um, so that's kind of how it's run. And um, never one to sort of blow my own trumpet. But I think it's 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 done pretty well. And it's as far as I'm aware, it's still got the most members of a of any sort of specific saints uh website yeah so yeah pretty pretty pleased with how it's gone and um i've kind of had ideas of of expanding it and i've had i've had talks with sort of various people about how we sort of increase sort of get get more sort of editorial stuff on so you get more columnists and people put people putting their opinions in a sort of newsy format rather than just the forum and have have the forum as the main thing but with added extras onto it and it's just a case of finding time i mean obviously as barry and myself are both sort of running it in our in what little spare time we get finding time to actually make all those all those enhancements is pretty difficult but kind of looking at looking at a few things for for next summer depending on how long I end up staying in Russia for. <laughs> probably the creep stage, I imagine. But yeah, um, I, I, I was going to say, I mean, obviously it, it probably gets clicks depending on what's happening at Saints. You know, I mean, I know, for example, I'm, I'm not a subscriber. I should be, but I know I go on there if there's a certain situation that's happened. You know, you look at the Van Dyke thing and obviously there was a well-known story or a, a sort of rumour by a subscriber monk a few months ago about the Liverpool move happening. And then suddenly it was all over the, the Liverpool echo. And I imagine for you in terms of clicks and stuff, that must have been a fantastic when those sort of things happen. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a, bit of an indication that the sort of thinking of, of football fans in general, I mean, not just Saints fans, that anything that's negative to the club always gets more traffic, mm, mm. Um, which is slightly frustrating because obviously over the last seven or eight years, there's been a, there's been a lot of positive um, things to do with the club, but it has always been the, um, the negative stuff gets, gets the hits. Like when Nigel Atkins was sacked, that was an extraordinary morning. When uh, when that was announced, I'm quite fortunate that the technology that we're sort of running the server on now means that it very rarely uh, falls over. But that that was one of the uh, one of the rare occasions where it basically just just killed it <laughs> and uh, fr- frantically uh, frantically onto the hosts to get everything restored and so that everybody could everybody could have their say. But it's yeah, it's always it's always the negative stuff. So. Beating like beating Liverpool in the in the cup semi final last year was kind of just another just another game. Um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe perhaps all the all the people, the vast majority of the people that might have commented on it were maybe in Liverpool. 
Um, I mean, probably half of them were in a were in a nightclub that, that I was in until about four o'clock in the morning. So that's, <laughs> that's quite possible. But yeah, it's a, it's a little bit frustrating in that regard. You kind of want. Um, I mean, yeah, you can you can understand there not being an awful lot of traffic for a standard one-all draw away at Bournemouth, for example. But you'd you'd have liked to have thought that a positive result, like when we smashed Everton the other week, you might have thought there'd be a bit more traffic as a result of that. But no, everybody's kind of well, they'd all gone down the disco. They'd yeah, all well, gone down the well, disco. Just that's where they were. They should have sung it before they went. <laughs> There we go. No, well, as I think, as I say, it's a fantastic site, Steve, used by many Saints fans as a sanctuary, as you, as you say, to sort of get things off, off their chests. And it's obviously a good, you know, I saw, I think it had nearly two million different forum post subjects. So you, you're obviously getting a lot of uh, um, coverage. And I think certainly, as I say, I, I know it's well thought of within the Saints fan base. So keep up the, the great work with it. Speaking of great work, I caught up with James Kibbe earlier this week. James is the founder of Black Shark Media and is one of the men behind the likes of Barry Gale and Made for Heroes, this season's fantastic cartoon-style kit release. James is also a Saints fan, and I spoke to him earlier this week about the work he's undertaking with Southampton Football Club to date. Here's what he had to say. James, thanks for joining the podcast. It's a great pleasure to have you with us. You're the writer, director and founder of Black Shark Media, aren't you? So I just wondered if you could tell us a bit about you and your company. Yes, that's right. So I started working with Southampton about four years ago on a project that became known as The Next Chapter, which was a film about the academy. Obviously, Southampton have had a great reputation for their academy over the last well, five, maybe ten years, and, and the media really picked up on that. So we, we made a film for Southampton um, that shone a light on that, and we interviewed the likes of Bale and Lambert and uh, Walcott uh, in terms of ex-players at the time, and, and then some of the current players in, in Schneiderling and, and, and Kelvin Davis, uh, Matt Target, and then Latisse as well. So, yeah, just made a little um, sort of mini documentary, essentially, about the academy. That sort of went down well with the powers that be at, at the club, and um, that led to getting a go at the uh, kit launch in 2015, which um, I, I had these big ideas when they started talking about it, of getting Graziano Pella playing James Bond in a sort of, you know, black polo neck and saving the world. So I got all excited about that. And then they came back and said they wanted to, to do a sort of documentary, mockumentary thing. And I was a bit like, oh, that sounds a bit boring. But then I went off, went off and wrote a script and tried to come up with some ideas and uh, yeah, and came up with this this character who I lazily called Barry Gale at the time, just on a, on a spoonerism on Gareth Bale, who uh, obviously are my sort of expensive export and thought, oh, I'll change that later. And uh, I never did. And that's, yeah, we then cast a fantastic uh, comedic actor in Tom Davis. And I can't really imagine anyone else playing that role now. Um, he, he just sort of totally embodied it and was so good around the club and with footballers. And yeah, we just had a lot of fun with that. And that went down really well uh, amongst the kind of wider press and and we then got to roll them out again at christmas and then again the next year in in our sort of travels across europe various other bits and bobs with the club across the year with sponsors and we did the free wembley film which was great great to be a part of to do that kind of cup run because uh, i'm sure like most saints fans i still get shivers down my spine whenever i watch uh, watch the um coverage of Shane Long's goal and hear Adam Blackwell's commentary on it. Um, and the Titanic. Yeah, yeah. The Titanic <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it was great to do that. And then brought us to this year's campaign. 
And I know it's not just Saints, is it? I know you were mentioning to me there that you were in Barcelona last week. So you're working with other clubs as well as Saints. Obviously, Saints being the prime one, and I know for you as a supporter, but it's it's obviously your experience is sort of being used in other areas and other companies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I'm a sports nut, primarily football, and obviously primarily within that Saints. So working with Saints is fantastic, but I've also managed to kind of carve a bit of a niche in the last few years working in in sports and, and comedy and, and sometimes both in the case of, of the likes of Barry Gale I guess but um, but yeah we were in Barcelona um, last week which was nice getting to see the new camp and, and their plans for updating the stadium there and yeah we've, we've gone to a few stadiums this year actually we went to Bayern Munich's uh, stadium to do um, a film about broadcasting and uh, we were in Shanghai early in the year as well sort of seeing how football's branching out in in China so it's um yeah it's, it's really interesting and to see how Southampton fit into that that landscape as well which is um is, is pretty well to be honest because uh, they've, they've really got their act together on, on all fronts well no certainly Barry Gale went down well and I think we could probably do with him back at the moment him and his player integrated strip strategy or Pisses, I think it was. That's yeah, right. So, yeah, uh, that went well. So yeah. So and then, and then this season, I, I guess I was going to say a little bit more serious, but obviously it was cartoon based. But I think probably a little bit more serious than Barry Gale, maybe. But this season, you were very much one of the men behind Made for Heroes, the kit launch at the start of this season. Yeah. So it's, this this kind of started as as early as pretty much when we released the last kit launch, which was. Um, which was the one last year where we took a fan to to it was kind of launching the Under Armour partnership essentially, and we took a, a fan to America and then brought the kit back um, in a kind of planes, trains, automobiles, and a and a yacht with a big red and white sail on. So um, as soon as we wrapped that, Southampton started talking about wanting to do an animation, mainly because it hadn't really been done before in in the kind of kit launch space and. Um, and I was immediately interested. I've dabbled in the old projects um, with animation, but never something on this kind of scale and with this kind of sort of planning involved. So we then, um, yeah, started writing the scripts at the, the, at the very start of this year and kind of working out the story we could tell and the players we could use who would still be there by the time we released the film, which is, you know, it's quite a serious point. It's a six, it was a six month lead time and you never know who's going to, you know, who might go or maybe someone might get a long term injury and that makes them a little bit less relevant. So there were a few challenges in that, in that way, um, which are different from sort of live action where you'll shoot a few weeks before and kind of know what you're dealing with. So. So, yeah, we constructed this, these two episodes, one where the guys kind of train to be superheroes and essentially the next one where they go and take on a, a villain who, although unnamed, bore a bit of a resemblance uncannily to uh, an ex-manager of ours. So, um, <laughs> Very familiar accent. That's right, yeah. Obviously, Southampton have built up a bit of a name now with, with their media work and uh, not just us, but the stuff they do in-house as well and with some other partners. And um, and, and Made for Heroes went down really well as, as well amongst the press and got nice comments from, from BBC 606 and from Henry Winter and, and various other sort of blogs and everything, um, which was great. And I'm told I'm told that it's had 10 million views now and, wow. um, and it's had a big impact in, in China and America, which is obviously... Um, something that or somewhere that all clubs are kind of looking towards. Um, so yeah, it was, um, it was another good one. And you say it didn't have comedy and I like to think there were a few jokes in there, but yeah, <laughs> you're right. It's a different, different tone to Barry Gale. And yeah, and I guess one thing I kind of naively in the development of it didn't really realize, um, was the appeal it would have with, with kids, which seems looking back on it so blatantly obvious, but, um, 
I always kind of write from the standpoint of appealing to a fan my age. So, um, but I do have a, a four-year-old myself, a four-year-old boy, and uh, and it's been really useful in uh, in sort of hooking him into the uh, to the Southampton way, should we call it? But um, it's obviously gone down really well with with all ages. You know, there's there's some sort of older references in there for for fans who've been around. Um, you know, there's Letitia in there and whatever, and a little sort of Barry Gale cameo. But then from a kind of uh, football as a superhero's point of view, it works really well yeah. with with the next generation. So. Yeah, and and, and even a Fraser Forster that saves every shot, which was amazing as well. So, uh, <laughs> well, you're, yeah, you're but, allowed to take, you know, those kind of creative links. <laughs> with, uh, so. Yeah, it's, that's the whole point of cartoons. They're not meant to be believable, really, exactly. are they? But there, there we go. So, yeah. and I mean, the point you raised there is a really good one because I guess for lots of us, you know, I'm a I'm a thirty something now. You know, I, I I sort of think of the old style kit that's come back this season. But cartoons and the younger generation, the whole point of a, of a football club is to think about future fans, future supporters, young young kids want to be entertained on the pitch and off the pitch. So I guess it, as you say, it combines all of those sort of things to look after various age ranges that uh, support Saints. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, it was it was nice. I was able to because I, I I got into Saints through my dad. He uh, he went to university there, but then he he was uh, he worked for Rank Xerox when they sponsored sponsored the club uh, back in the 80s and and you'll remember that 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 was the kit that has essentially been re-released this year so I've got a photo of of me as a kind of little blonde bouncing four-year-old in in that ranked Xerox kit and I've now got one alongside it of uh, of my boy in the um in the uh, Virgin Media sort of update version so uh you know, and, and the fans have been clamouring for that kind of kit to come back for a while. So it was nice to work on um, on a campaign that was. It always helps when you're working on a campaign for a kit launch, and, and you know that the shirt's going to go down really well. Brilliant, and and I know you mentioned there. Obviously, you're a Saints fan, which is, as I say, makes this even more uh, exciting and interesting for you, I'm sure. But uh, what what are your sort of memories? And um, talking about football, James, of, of watching Saints over the years, any sort of games that stick out or players that stick out from uh, from the years following Saints? As I said, I, I grew up um, going down there with my dad um, to the Dell, and yeah, being in my formative years with, with the 90s, I guess going going down to the Dell every other week, and and I'm not saying anything uh, unusual uh, when I pick out one particular player who had a big influence on me, and that was Jason Dodd. But no, I'm joking. <laughs> no, it's obviously uh, obviously Latis, and uh, he actually probably ruined my football career personally because I spent I spent all my time trying to uh, copy his uh, you know his flick ups and volleys and and if you've got a sort of five percent of his talent if I'm being generous to myself then uh, you end up just looking a bit lazy and useless you know you've got to <laughs> you've got to have his kind of mercurial ability to pull that style off so yeah I kind of blame him for for uh, failing as a footballer but you know I got to uh, Got to contribute to uh, Southampton in a different way later on. Yeah, in terms of games, I mean, you know, you can pick out quite a few that Latisse was involved in. I remember the um, the six three quite vividly, and, and and feeling that time had kind of stopped still as he chipped Schmeichel, who at the time and still arguably now is you know the best keeper that the Premier League has had. And then the fairy tale ending at the Dell when he came on and you know, had hardly played all season, and and they sort of threw him on hobbling for 10 minutes or whatever and, and he managed to grab the winner even though Chris Marsden nicked, nicked, uh, <laughs> nicked the uh, the right of the last um, goal at the Dell at the end but uh, fortunately it was saved and then uh, flashing forward a few years yeah at the end of the Barry Gale campaign we took we took Tom down as Barry uh, knowing that he was the idea was he'd come on the pitch at half time and do this kind of bit on the PA system 
we think and we're playing Aston Villa and I thought oh god and Tom was quite nervous thinking well what if we're 3-0 down at half time and it turned out I think we were 5-1 or something was it yeah, yeah I, think. I think we were 5-1 up at half time yeah. and Sadio Mane had scored the fastest Premier League <laughs> in history so it was a pretty pretty good atmosphere for him to uh, go into um so that yeah that was pretty memorable being down there sort of having just done that campaign and seeing seeing history essentially and it's hard to imagine that that's going to be broken um in my lifetime, but you never know. Well, I don't think we'll score six goals anytime no, soon. Yeah. That way, but, um, <laughs> um, and, and in terms of um, sort of the currencies, I mean, obviously I've asked the guys on the podcast, we've spoken about it a bit, Adam and I, over the last few weeks. Pellegrino's obviously under a lot of pressure, and we can talk about the Huddersfield game a bit in, in a minute just to get your prediction. But what, what have you sort of made of Saints and Pellegrino this season? Frustrating or disappointed or a bit, bit of both? Definitely, definitely frustrating. Um, I, I do feel you can look at it well, I think he, you could say he's been unlucky in that there's been some very good performances against the top sides. Um, you could argue that we could have beaten Manchester United at home. We had a, we had a very good second half and had a real go at them. And on another day, we could have, um, yeah, we could have nicked one or two and, and come away with something. Similarly, Manchester City, we did a great job at and, 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 and literally were denied with the last kick of the game. And, and Arsenal, we could have easily won. So if he, if he'd picked up a couple of victories out of those two, he'd not only have bought himself a bit more time points-wise, but um, there'd also have been a lot more kind of good feeling ar- around um, his appointment and his sort of early early tenure, I guess. But um, but that hasn't happened. And, and, and then you have to look at the, the games where we haven't picked up points that we perhaps should have done. You know, there's, there's you know, five, six, seven games against um, lower league or at least sort of bottom half opposition that we've, We've dropped points against, and and that's ultimately why he's under the pressure he is now. Yeah, the Huddersfield game. It, it's amazing how quickly it changes because after the Arsenal game, everything was looking quite positive. We hadn't picked up that many points in the in the in the three or four games before it, but we'd beaten Everton and we'd had a couple of draws, and 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 amongst that, a draw against Arsenal and a very unlucky performance or unlucky result against. Um, Against City, but that Leicester, that first half against Leicester just just blew blew the whole thing wide open again, and, and it's almost like he's starting from scratch. And you know the Chelsea result was was very predictable and 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 not a disaster in its own right at all, quite respectable. But um, but in the context of where we are now, I think he not only needs to to beat Huddersfield as a minimum and ideally beat them well, but I think I think he needs to get something from Tottenham or Man U as well. You know, we need to perform like we've been performing uh, away to City and away to Chelsea. And and this time we need to pick something up. Yeah. What's your prediction for the Huddersfield game then, James? Well, I'm I'm coming down to it and I'm I'm actually coming with a Huddersfield fan. So um, I can't really conceive not beating them. But there's going to be a lot of pressure and I I just hope... Yeah, I hope the atmosphere is positive, at least to start with. And then it's about the players kind of producing the goods to keep that atmosphere positive. I think there'll be goals. Um, it's just, I've just got a feeling that sort of a couple of days before Christmas, it might be a bit of a ding dong. <laughs> I'm going to be positive and say we're going to win it 3-2. Perfect. All right. Lovely. So if, it's, if, it's nil, if it's nil-nil, I'm never coming down again. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if, if you do after that, maybe you can bring Tom down with you. You can follow James on Twitter if you'd like to, at Black Shark Bites. James, keep up the great work. Thanks for joining the podcast and look forward to speaking to you soon. Thanks for having me and let's hope we have a good Christmas New Year period.
thanks again to James for taking the time to talk to the podcast. Now, at time of recording, it's Huddersfield up next for Saints. Adam, we briefly spoke earlier about Pellegrino and how important this game will likely be for him, getting the three points, obviously. Surely even you admit that this one is definitely a must-win. Do you know my feelings? It's never must-win. Well, this but, one is. Well, it's important. It's an important game. It's a, it's a very important game. But if they don't win, then the world isn't going to end and they're not relegated or anything like that. But... In the context of the season, it's a big game. It's it's just like Everton all over again, isn't it? And I think that's a bit of a characteristic of this team when you think about it. Over the period under Puel um, and uh, now Pellegrino, is that they've kind of a few times have walked to the I, I liken it to walking to the edge of the cliff, had a little peek over, and then just as you think they're wobbling, they just manage to take a few steps back from the edge of the cliff, and you think, oh, it's all right. And then they seem to creep ever nearer to it again. And, and the same thing happens again. And I fancy it will be the same again. They'll beat Huddersfield and there'll be much relief. And then they have to go to Tottenham and Man United. And we fear the worst there. And then it will be Crystal Palace at home. And then that's the next must-win game or, or vital game, depending on how you want to look at it. But for Pellegrino, it is a big game. Because I think uh, now, if this were if this one wasn't to be a victory... I think that would feel even more significant than than even Everton would have done had they not won that. And uh, the other thing, of course, is that he really needs now to get a victory and to kick on. He he really doesn't, uh, which is difficult with the fixtures they've got, but he really doesn't want to be sort of a one step forward, two steps back again. Uh, so it is a huge game for him. I think it's massive uh, in the context of the season, but also for him personally. Steve, looking at Huddersfield, they won't be an easy side to turn over by any stretch of the imagination. How do you think they've adapted to life in the Premier League? Um, they obviously had a fast start their first first couple of games against pretty obliging opponents. But since then, basically their their strength has been their form at home. Um, mm. But up until they came up against Watford on Saturday, they hadn't scored a single away goal since the opening day of the season. So I don't think they're a team that we should be fearing on our on our own turf. But I think. Judging by the results, certainly, they seem to play a completely different way away from home, which just hasn't brought them any meaningful results at all, really. And it'll be that away form that will that will drag Huddersfield into the into the relegation reckoning, I think. Mm. Tiff, in, in terms of Pellegrino and our approach to the game, what are you hoping he will do in terms of, I guess, personnel that he selects and tactics that they, they employ? What would you like to see him do? Go for it. It's all. I'm into these football cliches now. It's all about the first goal, in it? Let's face it. Yeah. So long as he starts, you know, Oybier and Buffal and Gabbiadini, we'll get the first goal. We go forward up the middle instead of down the sides all the time and crossing and backwards and forwards. That's what we need. Morale, first goal. Let's go down the disco. I'm starting to think you should be manager, Tiff. <laughs> I, I think Austin. I think Hoybier, when I looked him up when he first came, I, mean, I was at the friendly when he first played, and I just see these players that just seem to have energy and want to go for I mean, it's a clumsy thing, Hoy, and it's Hoybier, Hoyberg. It was actually, when I looked on the internet, it was Hoybier to pronounce it. Anyway, and he's all arms and elbows, and he makes some clumsy challenges, but he's always got that positive intent. And I think Buffal's the same. He's always trying to, I mean, he makes some awful passes and loses the ball and tries too hard. And, but, you know, I love those players. Sims, great. Sims was back playing in the under-23s or whatever that mm. class they were in this week. And, and when Sims, that match, when we all applauded him off the 
pitch with tears in her eyes at the 88th minute or whatever when we were singing, he's one of our own. He's, that's a great song, he's one of our own, he's one of our own. But Sims, you see him and he's always going forwards and he passes it to somebody, he points where he wants the ball. He's such, he's such a positive player. I mean, I know the skills is one factor and, and maybe we haven't got as skillful players as Manchester United and Manchester City and, you know, the great names of Chelsea up strikers up front. But if you get that positive attitude, which the manager needs to install, and you play and you use players that are positive in the way they approach the game, you know, that's where that's where I think the goals would come. And um, as I said, it's the first goal that counts in this game of two halves, as I always say. <laughs> so, um, I'm looking right. forward to my glass getting very full. And that's not a vital game. I can assure you if we lose to Huddersfield, my glass will drop to only a full <laughs> for the first time. No, it was good to hear. I mean, the thing that always makes you laugh about that Josh Sims song is that we actually nicked him from Pompey Academy. And Adam, you always talk about Jack Stevens because we always sing about him being one of our own, and he came from Plymouth. So uh, yeah, 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 he paid one hundred and fifty thousand. Minor detail. <laughs> no, I know, I know, I know. So uh, there we go. So right, let's have some predictions for Saints versus Huddersfield. Then Tiff, as, you, as oh. you're on a roll, come on, let's give us something positive. Oh, that'll be three 0 once we got that. Once we got Gabbiadini up and run. Let's get Gabbiadini scoring. Like all these strikers, Charlie's good now because he's scored a few. Paul Shane's in a mess. So. Get Gabbiadini scoring again, he'll get three. Adam, what do you reckon? Uh, I'm, I'm not quite that optimistic. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, Last half I, empty, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. But I just think, um, as I said, they, they, this, the, the character of this team, the nature of this team, uh, as, as has been the squad assembled over 18 months, basically, has been to get to this point, uh, this precipice, several times, and then suddenly come good even if it doesn't last so I think they'll win again I agree with what Steve said you look at Huddersfield's away record up until I mean they beat Palace on the opening day obviously everybody was beating Palace at that point um for the first couple of months yeah absolutely (laughs) Uh, one of only four victories let's not forget this season today um uh, and up until Watford not only they not won a game they hadn't even scored a goal away from home so you can't I mean you can't seriously think that there's going to be anything other than three points but I do wonder if it might be a little bit nervy so I'm going to uh, I'm going to go for them edging it 2-1 you you always go 2-1 I knew you were going to say that um, but who scores first you have to you have to predict also in that yeah okay scenario. yeah come on then Adam. Who who's going to score the goals first? Oh my good Tiff, I'm so I bad can't. at getting the score lines right. How can well, I get no, this? You can't go throw a two-one at me without saying who's going to score first. Which is <laughs> crucial with our team. Our team that is so crucial. Who scores first? Uh, Saints will score first. I'm going to go for Dusan Tadic with an unlikely opener. How about that? Very unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good stuff, Steve. What about you? What do What do you think the score will be? And and obviously, who's going to score the first goal? Well, I was I was going to go two one as well, but I yeah, see, go... it's a sensible prediction. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was going to go with us going into a two racing into a two nil lead, sitting back on it hideously, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> then then having having two or three shots cleared, hacked off the line in injury time. <laughs> that kind yeah, of uh, typical Saints game. Yeah, that's what we live say. with, the nerves of the 90 minutes. <laughs> I was going to say, there's a man that's followed Saints for so many yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, I genuinely think all three results are possible. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm going to sit on the fence and go for one all, which I, I know, Tiff, you won't be happy with that. And uh, ah, I, I'm, <laughs> no, I'm going to go for one all, which I don't think will be enough. I really hope that Saints win, obviously. But yeah, I'm going to go for that. Adam, 
as the podcast is taking a rest until the new year, let's have some quick predictions for the games away to Spurs and Man United as well. Steve, we'll start with you this time. What do you reckon the score is going to be at Spurs and Man United? I suspect it will be very similar in terms of the pattern of play to what we saw at Chelsea last week in that we'll set ourselves up deep, try to play on the counter-attack even though we've not really got the pace for it, have a couple of chances, feel that we've been hard done by but lose both games 1-0 to the one moment of quality in the game. Sounds sensible, yeah. Tiff, what, what, what do you reckon? Can you do any better than that? Well, obviously. I mean, once Gabbiadini's got his confidence back with this, this hat-trick against Huddersfield, <laughs> we're going to go to Tottenham. We'll be sleeping after their Christmas because they'll think we're an easy game and they'll eat too much Christmas pudding. We're going to beat Tottenham just by 1-0. We'll get one quick goal early on and then we'll sit back and defend. And that defence was brilliant, wasn't it, against Arsenal and stuff until they got a freaky goal. And um, But then we'll get too cocky and lose to Manchester United. I, I genuinely am going to start a campaign. If Pellegrino loses his job, Tiff, I'm genuinely going to start a campaign for you to be manager. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Adam, Adam, what do you reckon then? Come on, you're, you're optimistic about us beating Huddersfield, so can we get anything from Spurs and United? I've got to say, I think maybe Steve and I have been following Saints for about the same amount of time because I, I completely concur with his predictions again. I was going to go for two one nil defeats. I think they'll be, it'll all be a bit like Chelsea again, I suspect. If they're going to get something, my hunch would be maybe a point at Tottenham if they were going, if they were going to get something. But as I have to stick my neck out, I'm going to go for a tear of one nil defeats. Tiff, you're not going to like me. Um... <laughs> no, but don't tell me another. I genuinely, I try reverse psychology, but not not even that works these days. But uh, look, I, I'm going to stick tradition for away games, Adam. I'm going for three nil at Spurs, but I'm going for one nil at Man United. Oh wow. We're wow, losing you're... both. We're losing 3-0 at Spurs. Yeah, I'm afraid so. Sorry. This is Ben getting into the festive spirit. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, one thing I was thinking earlier is as a New Year's resolution, I'm definitely going to try and be more positive in my predictions, even if that is through blind optimism. I've, ju- I've just paid a fortune for a car park next to Wembley Stadium to get up there. Now you're telling me that that's going to happen. <laughs> the, the good thing is, Tiff, I'm normally wrong, so that's probably positive. So <laughs> It's 40 quid to park at Wembley these days, isn't it? I know, I know. I've just paid for it on Tinternet. I know. And there's no trains. <laughs> it got you I there. Know. I know. So I'm not what time I'll have to leave to get there all the time. I'm not going to Manchester United. I must I'm confess I'm not going that far. But um, Sensible. I'll be there at Tottenham. Thank you for listening to Total Saints podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have, then don't forget all of our previous episodes are available on both SoundCloud and iTunes. Just search on Total Saints podcast. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. My thanks to Adam, Steve, and especially Tiff for taking the time to join us on this Christmas special. I wish all three of you and your families very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Finally, Adam and I would like to thank all of you who've listened to and supported the podcast since August. It started as a bit of fun for us both. But thanks to all your comments and feedback, we've worked hard to try and make it more professional and varied each week. We really do appreciate all the encouragement you've given and would also like to wish all of you a very Merry Christmas as well. As mentioned earlier, we're going to take a break now, but we will be back in 2018 with even more guests, content and no doubt dreadful puns. We all know that the football has been largely underwhelming in 2017, but don't forget it's Christmas, a time for spending time with those we care about the most. For that in itself is enough of a reason to keep marching in. Merry Christmas. Let's go down to disco. <laughs> Let's go down to disco. Da, la, la, la.
Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.